Those words that say God is speaking, God is speaking, certainly do not mean that this guy here is God. No, we have the great privilege of having the Word of God. So when we hear the Word read and preached, it is certainly God who is speaking through His Word. That in ancient times, we read about people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God would speak to them. And then years would go by, decades even, before God would speak again. And what a privilege it is that every week we can gather together to hear the Word of God and we can have the Word in our homes and have God speak to us. Well, as we look at the Word today, we are continuing in Romans chapter 5. We are continuing our sermon from last week where we saw this connection between Adam and Christ. That we, as humans, all suffer the consequences of Adam's first sin because he was our covenant representative, our stand-in, so that what Adam did affected all of us. And so we all possess this original sin, this sinful nature, this corruption, this fall from grace that Adam did, that now affects all of us. But we saw that as bad as that kind of representative is, it shows us that a representative could do good things too. If we can suffer the consequences of a bad representative, perhaps we can also reap the rewards of a good representative. And that is the focus of the text this week, as Paul shows us that Jesus acts like a second Adam creating a new people, in a sense, with new consequences that are far better than Adam. And so, let's open the Bibles, let's turn in our Word to Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Romans 5, verses 15 through 21. Let's hear the Word of God. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for just the clarity of truth You give to us, for the hope that You bring to us. Thank You, O God, that You tell us about Adam and his sin and the origins of humankind. And though there was such bad news then, Lord, we thank You for the good news of Christ. Lord, we pray that You would give us ears to hear today, to hear Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would use me, in spite of my sin, to faithfully proclaim Your Word, that I would convey its truth, O God, and expound it and apply it clearly, and that You would work through Your Spirit, through this living and active Word, accomplishing Your great purposes for Your Word, and work in us, in our hearts and minds, transforming us, making us more and more like Jesus, making us Your beloved and obedient children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning as we look at this passage, we're going to be going through our text with a, a little 3-2-1 pattern for you to remember. So first, we're going to see three comparisons that Paul gives us. Here are three ways that what Jesus did is way ba- better than what Adam did. And that's going to show us that these are the only two options to remain in Adam, or to receive Christ. And we're going to finish by looking at how Paul shows us that there is one sustaining power for the Christian life. One power. So Paul starts with these comparisons showing us that Jesus is a better covenant representative than Adam. He tells us in verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. He says it again in verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So this free gift is what Jesus gives to us, what he has accomplished for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so we see three comparisons, one each in verses 15, 16, and 17. The first comparison is this. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This comparison shows us the better motivation of Jesus. Think of it this way. Adam lived in a literal paradise. And Adam was given one, only one command to obey. All you had to do Obey this one command, keep living in paradise forever. And yet, Adam selfishly thought only of himself and transgressed the command. Adam sinned once when he had every reason not to. And the whole world fell into sin and people were condemned to die. Now Jesus, on the other hand, entered the world Not in paradise, but into poverty as an infant, living the humble life of normal suffering that we experience in the world. And Jesus did not have one command to obey. He had every command of God to obey every day for his entire life. And he knew that obeying his father's commands would lead to the betrayal of his friends his unjust suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, and the most horrific suffering you could ever imagine. 
Jesus had every reason not to obey. And yet He obeyed God to give us the free gift of God's grace. See, Adam was not thinking about you when he disobeyed God. He was thinking of himself. But when Jesus obeyed God, He set His mind on those whom He was sent to save, considering how necessary His obedience was to our salvation. He was motivated to give us the greatest gift in the world, a gift that we so desperately need. His grace abounded for us day after obedient day, revealing He is a far better representative than Adam. So Paul shows us we have a new representative who had far greater motivations. The second comparison we see is in verse 16. Paul writes this, For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So this highlights the power of these representatives, the power that when Adam sinned, his sin deserved condemnation. That is the just punishment for disobeying God. It is what happens to all people in Adam, that sin should be punished, and Adam is powerless to prevent that justice from being done. But in Christ, we have hope of forgiveness. That even though the trespasses have just piled up since Adam's first sin, Jesus is powerful enough to bring justification. So he doesn't merely undo Adam's first sin. He forgives all of these other sins. As the British minister Charles Cranfield wrote, that one single misdeed should be answered by judgment is perfectly understandable. But that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift, that is the miracle of miracles. See, we are all sinners who deserve God's punishment for our sins. And we are powerless to escape the justice we deserve. But Jesus has the power to give us His own righteousness, the power to take our sins off from us. He has the power to give us something that we do not deserve. And so Jesus reveals His power is far greater than the power of that first Adam. Paul then brings us to a third comparison in verse 14. He's shown us motivation. He's shown us power. And now he shows us the change that the representative can bring. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is talking about this change in terms of reigns. The power that reigns over a group of people. That when Adam sinned, he brought all people under the reign of death. That we all live under the looming threat that physical death awaits us. There is no escaping the reign of death. That no matter how hard you try, you cannot outrun death. You cannot outmaneuver death. You cannot outlive death. But it is not just physical death that we are under, but a reign of spiritual death. Being separated from God, being lost in our sinful rebellion, that we live in this life in a kind of darkness where we cannot fully enjoy 
the world as God has created us to enjoy it. And then upon our death, we face God's judgment. The judgment of torment in hell. It is the rain that Adam has put us under. But this second Adam comes along. And for those who receive the grace of salvation in Jesus Christ, we are freed from this reign of death. Yes, we still die physically, but this physical death does not lead to spiritual death, but it leads to eternal life with Christ in glory. Note also that Paul says those who are in Christ reign in life. So instead of death reigning, when we believe in Jesus, we reign in life. The false promise of sin has always been, if you disobey God, you will be free. And you will find all you ever hoped for in freedom and rebellion from God. But what we see is the freedom to reign is found in receiving Jesus. In trusting in God. We find our true freedom and joy in eternal life, living as God has created us to do. So Jesus shows us He brings about a much better reign and change than Adam does. And so as we look at these three comparisons, I want you to see that Jesus does not come along and simply undo what Adam did. It's one of my favorite buttons on all the computer keyboards, undo. I make a lot of mistakes. I like to just hit undo. He does not come and just undo and say, all right, give it again. Jesus does not come up and hit the reset button and say, all right, Fresh start, let's go. He does so much more than that. He came with abundant grace to not just remove curse, but to bring blessing. He came to justify all who repent of their rebellion. He came to give life to those under the reign of death. And He did it all through a gift. A free gift that we must receive in order to be joined to Christ instead of remaining in Adam. And those are our two options. They are options for every person. We can either remain in Adam under his reign of death, or we can receive the free gift of grace in Christ, the second Adam. Paul presents these two options for us in verses 18 and 19. He does it rather clearly. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul is leaving here for us a question. Which one man will be our representative? Will it be Adam or will it be Christ? But before we even want to answer that question, we have to go, I'm sorry, Paul, what are you talking about here? Because I'm a little confused. Because in verse 18, Paul uses the word all to describe those in Adam as well as those in Christ. Now, we would agree that all people are in Adam by birth, but we would not say then that all people are automatically saved in Christ. Is he meaning All, like literally all of the people are all the same here? And then in verse 19, he uses the word many to describe both groups of people. And we would agree that many are saved in Christ, 
But why would Paul use the word many to describe people in Adam since it's all people who are in Adam? And so we're left thinking, Paul, what are you doing here? Well, in our New Testament reading, he does something very similar. He writes, as in Adam, all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And you're left thinking, boy, that sure sounds like he's talking about the same group of people. That everyone who was in Adam becomes everyone who is now in Christ. A kind of universalism where everyone is saved. But all throughout Romans, and even in this very passage, Paul is telling us that is not the case. And so what what he is doing here is showing us a kind of parallelism. That just as all of the people included in Adam suffer his consequences, in the same exact way, everyone who is in Christ gets all of the good things he gives. So, for all those in Adam, you will find suffering. And all those who are in Christ, you will find blessing. Paul's language seems a little stranger than what we would use here, but he wants us He's not stressing that the groups are the same. He is stressing that the connection between the representative and their group is as strong in both instances. That if you are in Adam, you are stuck in Adam getting what he gets. But if you are in Christ, you are blessed and assured of all he has earned for you. And so we need to hear these two verses for what they are. They are a blessed warning. They are a blessed warning. Because all people, every single person born on earth is born in Adam. He is our natural representative. Whether we like it or not, we receive what that representative has earned for us. It is our default setting. And he has only earned sin, death, and the judgment of hell for us. And that is the destiny of every person on earth, no matter how good they may appear. We are all in Adam. And the only hope of escaping that condemnation is finding a new representative. And we do so by receiving the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. We receive that gift by trusting that He is the only representative that can undo Adam's curse and bring us blessing. And we trust that He has done this not just by being some nice guy, but through His sacrificial death on the cross, the ultimate gift of grace, where He took the judgment and condemnation we deserve as children of Adam on Himself, and He gives us the perfect, obedient righteousness that was expected of Adam. We trust that all of this is given to us, not because we tried hard enough, not because we were pretty good people who avoided bad sins. We trust that it is given to us because we are desperate and needy and we receive it as a gift. It's just a gift that we are made righteous in Him, that we are justified in Him, that we have life in Him, that our hope of not remaining in Adam is receiving Jesus. And so we are left, which one man will be our representative? Will we remain in the first Adam, or will we find hope and life in the second Adam? 
These are the only two options we have. But as most people, we like to think of third options. We do this all the time in our house. What would you like for dinner? We have this and this. Well, I'd like that. No, 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 that's not an option. These are the two options. I know, but I really want that other thing. Okay, well, here are your two options. I want the third thing. No. And so we do this weird third thing where God says, here are your two options, Adam or Christ. And we we think, well, the curse of Adam sounds really bad, and I don't want that. But uh, it feels weird to have to need Jesus. Like, I don't really, I didn't ask him to do that for me. And we, we bristle that salvation is only found in Jesus. And so we come up with this third way. We want to stand as our own one man or one woman. Instead of suffering from a bad representative or riding the coattails of some good representative we don't really know and aren't really sure about, we think, well, God can just judge me on my own. We want to do it our way. And we often think that's good enough. And we see this temptation in verses 20 through 21 where Paul mentions the law. And he brings up the law because many Jews might have thought that the law changed things. Because the law clearly explained, hey guys, here's what God requires. And once you know the rules, you're going to keep them, right? Like once you're given commands like Adam was, we'll do better than Adam. We'll live a good life in obedience to God. And then we can show God because he gave us the rules and and we kept them that he will bless us instead of curse us. And the law would help us stand on our own as our own one man or one woman before God and judge me on that. And Paul comes along and very helpfully, he just whacks us across the head. And he's like, you can't do that. He writes this, now the law came in to increase the trespass. He's saying the law didn't come help you. The law actually hurts your case. The law increases the trespass because nothing in the law says, here's how you get rid of your sin from Adam. Here's how you undo the curse of that guy who messed up. There's nothing in the law about that. Instead, what the law does is shows, here's all these commands. I bet you've broken a lot of them. Here's a clear knowledge of what God considers sin. You're like, oh man, that? That too? And so now when we do break them, we do so knowingly just like Adam. And we transgress and are no better. And so if we try to simply live a good life and follow the rules, guess what? It's not going to work. We cannot live before God in our own goodness, our own obedience, at least not successfully. Because with the law, you only have a clearer picture of how disobedient you have been. And so if your hope is based on, I am good, I do a pretty good job, hear that you're going to come up empty. Yes, you may convince yourself you're a good person for a short period of time, but none of us can stay that good for that long. And we'll be devastated. Because once that third representative is off the table... I mean, there's no real fourth representative. You've got no other hope. 
But see, instead of relying on the law, instead of relying on our own goodness to be this source of strength and power, that if I just follow these rules, if I just do these steps, if I just do this, I'll be okay. Paul's showing us, hey, there's another power. The law is not a power. The law is a burden. But this power is like a jet fuel. And this power is grace. He writes, now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is one of those passages in the Bible where if you are just reading along and you like have a note card covering the next word and you're surprised at each word, something like that. I do that sometimes in books where I don't want to get the next ending spoiled or something like that. You'd expect to read this. And where sin increased, punishment increased all the more. That's what you expect to happen. But it says the opposite. That when we trust in Jesus as our representative, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. That our sins are forgiven in Him. And so where our sin increases, Jesus' grace is abounding. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, there is no out-sinning the grace of God. Now, as Paul will say in the next chapter, please do not go around trying to out-sin the grace of God. That is a misunderstanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. But to think about grace as a kind of safety net, as a kind of warm hug as you are trying to obey God. Because if you are judging yourself based on how well I have kept the law, and you fail, you're crushed. But if you know that you are safe in Jesus, and you fail, you remember, hey, my sin didn't spoil His righteousness just now. Hey, we didn't run out of Jesus' blood for that sin. I'm still forgiven. And so grace fuels our attempts at obedience because we no longer fear condemnation from messing up. And it is with this fuel of grace we are to live as Christians. We are to live under a reign of grace, trusting that this grace will abound for us even as our sin increases. That we are not afraid to look at the law and see where we have broken the commands of God because we know if we have broken commands, grace continues to abound for us. We know that in Christ, we have the blessing of God's grace. And so if you trust in Jesus and you're down on yourself, if you're down on yourself today because you feel like my sin just won't stop increasing, I feel like it increases every day, every week. That I feel like I look, read the Bible and there I go. I'm, not sin, I'm, I'm still sinning way too much. Know that far more than your sin can increase, God's grace abounds more and more and more. That wherever it feels your sin is increasing, His grace will over and super abound over your sin. Because you are not saved because you have been good. You are saved because of what Jesus has done for you. Rest in His grace. Find joy and peace in Him. Know that even though your progress seems slow, 
Grace reigns through the righteousness that leads us to eternal life. That we have been set on a path where we will be made righteous and be given eternal life. That what seems slow now will be complete by the grace of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You that You do not make us stand as our own one man or one woman to be judged. We thank You, O God, that You give us the law, that You give it to expose our sinfulness and to drive us back to Jesus Christ as the only one who has perfectly kept the law. And so help us to rest in His righteousness. Lord, seal this truth in our hearts. Help us because we are so tempted to think of our obedience as as what makes us right before You. Rid us of those thoughts, please. And Lord, give us a heart for those who are lost, who are in Adam, who do not think they need to find salvation in Christ. Give us a, a zeal for their salvation. Give us a humility to share the good news as those who desperately needed to be saved ourselves. And may they believe and have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.